Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 1 about what the Bible reveals to us about the opponent of God and Satan and where he came from, his devices, and what he tries to do to Christians and the lost. You can always download this message for free or listen to it at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or search for Friendship with God on iTunes by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, we have several teachings to offer you as our resource of the month. From Tom Cantor, as our amazing Bible teacher, he's got small pocket-sized tracts and teachings to help you grow in your faith and with your prayer life and with your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these resources we're offering are entitled, How a Jew Came to Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53, How to Pray for the Lost, How to Pray for the Saints, and What Kind of Love is God's Love. These written resources from Tom Cantor will teach you valuable yet simple Christian lessons. All of these teaching resources are yours for a donation of $10 or more to the Friendship with God radio program, which will help us to stay on the air on this station and in this city with your support and by you growing in your friendship with God with these resources. So call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. That's 800 247 3051, get these valuable resources and support this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelical outreach ministry with Israel Restoration Ministries, whom Tom Cantor is the founder of, as well as our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God. So support us at 800-247-3051 or go online to friendshipwithgod.org. You can donate online or obtain free resources, downloads, and other information about Tom Cantor and how to have a better friendship with God. Here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 1 about what the Bible reveals to us about the opponent of God and Satan and where he came from, his devices, and what he tries to do to Christians and to the lost. Righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, as we were singing and speaking about this morning and during our breaking of bread, the righteousness of Christ that covers us, symbolized in the Day of Atonement, and the blood of Christ that cleanses us. The righteousness of Christ that covers us and the blood of Christ that cleanses us. Then what else do we have? We have a wonderful thing which is described, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. God's given us a purpose. God's given us a job in this life. What is it? Be ready to preach the gospel. What kind of gospel is that? Peace. It's a gospel of peace with God. You're at war with God, but the message is the warfare is your warfare is accomplished. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, the, that's our job. That's what we do. We preach the gospel of peace. And then it says, it goes on and it speaks about faith. The shield of faith will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. Faith, that's our, God has given us to us an ability to believe the Bible. He's given us an ability to take and to utilize the Bible truth specifically. And you just feel like you've gotten a shot out of, you don't know where this has come from. Just say to yourself, shield of faith. Just say it. Shield the faith to yourself and picture yourself picking up a shield and just making that fiery dart fall to the ground. We have faith. God has given us faith. And then it says that the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation, God has promised to us salvation. We can be assured 
of salvation. Why? What is salvation? Salvation is to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ from whom thou hast sent, from John 17, 3. It's to know him. Many will come to me that day and say, Lord, did we not do? And they list many, many wonderful works, which were wonderful works. But then he says to them, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. So God has given us the ability to know him, which is salvation. And that's a wonderful thing. And then it says he's given to us the sword of the spirit. The sword of the Spirit. What's that mean? That means that we have the very, very wonderful, unusual opportunity that as we take the Bible, as we take the Word of God, and we use it, guess who else uses it at the same time? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God takes the Word that we put out, we give to a lost person, and He's the one who brings the conviction of sin and the knowledge that the prince of this world has been judged, and that the Lord Jesus Christ really has been raised from the dead. That's the job of the Spirit of God. So, we were, so this is really referring to a partnership, as Paul sometimes said, and I preach, and so doth also the Spirit of God. So it's wonderful. Now, God has provided all of these things for us, why? Because he's God and he's providing because he said it's, this is also a, it's not good that man should be without the whole armor of God. And whatever temptation we think that we're facing, and we always think it's no one else has ever gone through this before, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says, there's no temptation taken you, and that's the way some temptations feel like they just grabbed you, and, but such as is common to man. Others gone through it too. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above your able, but will with the temptation also make a way or provide a way of escape so that you can bear it. That's what was Genesis 1 and 2 was all about. It was all about, Adam, I've given you everything so you will be able to bear this temptation. You'll be able to escape this temptation. You'll be able to go through it, not fall under it. So we have a lot to, to learn from Adam's, uh, from what happened. My God shall supply or provide all your need according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, so what we've seen so far, and you turn back to Genesis So what we've seen so far in our first two chapters of Genesis, we've seen God preparing man to make him complete. So he'd be, God equipped him with everything that we saw, helpmate, spirit of God. And he also gave him a regular meeting time. We get that in the context too from what we read. A regular meeting time. It was seemed to be at the end of the day, the cool of the day. So I mean, all, all Adam had to do was just hold out until the end of the day. I don't know what Adam's problem was. But anyway, he gave him a time that he could retreat every day. I'll be here, Adam. I'll be here at the end of the day. You and I are going to walk together. I'll be here. And then he warned Adam that something was going to come. He said to Adam, you keep the garden, Adam. You stand guard. That was the word that was used. You guard the garden. You keep the garden. You stand guard. Shamir, you stand there. You keep that garden because something's going to come and attack it. In the garden, in the garden, 
Sure enough, it happened there. And he gives them a helper. All right, so now we stand on this verge of this very profound chapter, 24 verses in chapter 3. But in these 24 verses, we have the temptation of man that defined his natural destiny. The fall of man, he fell into it. The loss, some people have called it paradise lost. The judgment of man and the salvation of man. All in 24 verses, right here. And this chapter... We, we not only read about what happened in history, but it's very important for us as we study this to uncover and expose the patterns here. Because these patterns, they're like, this first temptation is a pattern for every temptation. And this first fall seems to be a pattern for every fall. And this first belief of lies is a pattern that sin always follows, with lies repeated for every sin. To understand what happened is very, very important for us. Very important. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.10. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Then he says in verse 11 something very important. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Okay? We are not ignorant of his devices. This verse tells us that we must study and study and study and study this chapter, looking for and uncovering the devices and the strategies of Satan. Why? Because if we know his devices and his strategies, it'll give us more understandings to identify the same traps in our lives. So we can more readily identify them and can avoid them. You know, this last Thursday, Katie Smith, who, who grew up here, she had a very large cancerous tumor removed along with lymph nodes. And the surgery lasted several hours. And you think about the training of that cancer surgeon who was taught to you know, use those magnifier glasses that they use and identify cancer from normal tissue and take his scalpel and carefully dissect away the cancer from the normal. And you know what that is? That's a picture of us here in chapter 3. God wants us to, just like that surgeon, to identify and to dissect away in what Satan said here, the truth from the error, so that we can see it. So when we read these first verses here, we see the cancer of lies intertwined with the normalcy of truth. And we're going to do the work of badad. We're going to separate. We're going to, to dissect and separate one from the other, the truth from the air, so we can keep ourselves from believing in the air. All right, so here we have verse 1, Genesis 3, 1. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Why did the Lord God make this serpent to be as crafty as he was and got used this way? I'll tell you, I don't know. (laughs) But he made it. Anyway, so with this verse, there are three foundational truths that we do understand here that become apparent for us for the first time. First, we have a disclosure that there is a spirit world. There is a spirit world of two kingdoms because the serpent is not talking like God talks. So we right away understand that there is a spirit world of two kingdoms. Now we've already seen in the Bible how God has made up different persons in the Elohim, that he, is, that he is a spirit. We saw that. We saw that right off the bat in the second verse of the book. 
that the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, moved upon the face of the waters. But now another spirit comes into our view. And he's just as real as God is. And, he, and, he, and he's just as unseen as God is. But he's not God. And so with this emergence of this talking snake, the snake that talks, we understand the first foundational truth, which is there is a spirit world of two kingdoms. Now, we can see that this spirit that is speaking through this snake is obviously opposing God. He's not on God's side. And so the second truth that we learn here is that these two spiritual kingdoms oppose each other. They're, they're opposite, opposing each other. It's very clear that this spirit is not speaking in support of God. And so this shows us that there has already been a badad. There's already been a separation. There's already been a division which has taken place that we don't know very much about, but there's been obviously some sort of falling out or falling away or fall away from God. And so now, this is interesting to us, and so we ask the question, well, what does the Bible reveal to us about the opponent of God as we first see him coming on the scene here? Well, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. And Satan, so here, here we have a name, Satan. So, I mean, the way our Bible books are laid out, this is the first time that the word Satan appears in our Bible, but we know that Job is the oldest book in the Bible, and there we have the name Satan, so... Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. So here we see that the opponent of God, and by the way, uh, Satan or Satan, and again, another root word meaning to accuse or to stand in opposition of, and isn't that how we see him first appearing in Genesis 3, in opposition to God? Satan stood up against Israel. We see his influence on a man. He stood up and he, he provoked David to number Israel. The first thing we see him doing here is standing up against the people of God, against the Jewish people. He is, uh, he is anti-God's people, or if you want, he's anti-Semitic. He's anti-Jewish God's people. And here we see him provoking David to disobey God and to number the people because he wants to bring harm to God's people. Where did he come from? Well, we don't know a lot. But one of the areas that does give us insight it is in Isaiah 14. And if you turn to that, please, to the uh, book of Isaiah, chapter 14, it gives us a little bit of a background here because the chapter starts speaking about we thought it's the king of Babylon, but then all of a sudden it becomes obvious to us that the king of Babylon is only like a representative for someone different from the king of Babylon, or the king of Babylon just seems to be the representative for this other one. And in verse 12, the, although it starts off speaking about the king of Babylon, all of a sudden we have a new person who is addressed in verse uh, 12 where it says, How art thou fallen from heaven? So this person fell from heaven. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut 
down to the ground, so he's been banished to earth, which didst weaken the nations, so we know he weakens. For thou hast said, and now just count up or just look at how many times it says, I will. For thou hast said, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So we see that this is the one who has the aspirations of exaltation. This is the one who is proud. This is the one who lifts himself up. This is the one who is not satisfied in the position that he is and and sky's the limit for him and especially overthrowing God. And then it says, but then God intervenes in verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. So hell is his home to the sides of the pit. They, they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble and that did shake kingdoms? I think when everybody sees Satan, they're going to say, that mangy dog. Verse 17, that made the world as a wilderness, so he's a destroyer of the world, and destroyed the cities thereof, so he is a ruiner of cities, that opened not the house of the prisoners, so he loves uh, keeping people in captivity. All the kings of the nations, even all them lie in glory, every one in his own house, but thou art cast out of thy grave, like an abominable branch, and as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with the sword, and that go to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet, thou shalt not be joined with them in burial, because thou hast destroyed, again, he's the destroyer, thy land, slain thy people, he kills those who are loyal to him. The seed of evildoers, those, that's his people, the seed of evildoers. His people are corruptors. His people corrupt others. Shall never be renowned. So when we look at this, we understand, we get a full understanding here of this one who is the opposer of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of him in Luke 10, 18, when he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So he's always spoken about in the context of this falling, this falling from a high position as he had there when he was called Lucifer, son of the morning, falling from heaven. But... What else is interesting about him, and if you turn to Job chapter 1, you can see more about this one who is this opponent that has appeared on the scene here, Job 1. And this, as I said, is the first time really when he is mentioned in biblical history, because this is the oldest book in the Bible, Job. So in Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So he reports to God. He gives an account to God. And the Lord said unto him, Whence comest thou? So God questions him. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down in it. So he responds to God. And the Lord said unto him, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a man perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed his hand, the work of his hands and his substance is increased uh, in the land. So God brags about or God's, God is proud of his children who resist temptation as Job did. But Satan accuses Job and says that it's only because of all the blessings that you've given to him. Who wouldn't? 
Who wouldn't choose God if he had it on such easy street as Job did? And then verse 11, But put forth now thine hand. Put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath. So he makes proposals to God. Proposals or temptations. He proposes temptations to God for his children. And he will curse thee to thy face. So he makes promises to God that God's children will fall. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So God gives him ability, but with limitations. God tailors, who will with the temptation also make a way of escape. We see all of this in this wonderful revealing discourse that we have about Satan and God. Now, do you remember the part where the Lord looked at Peter and he said, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Remember that? But I have prayed for you, prayed for thee that thy faith, what? Fail not. Right. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Okay. So what do we learn about Satan from that, what he said there? What do we learn about Satan? That he's against us and that he asks God by name to destroy certain of us. That's what he said. He said, Satan hath, Simon, Simon, he said his name twice. Simon, Simon, you, Simon, you by name, Simon, you have been named by Satan to God. He says, that's what he said. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. So we learn that about him. Now, another thing we learn about the devil when we consider all the things about him is that we know in, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that he transforms himself into an angel of what? Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. He makes himself very believable. Oh, it just seems so right. It's so believable. It's so logical. Of course it's right. That's the transformation of the devil into an angel of light. That's why it's so important to be about the work of carefully dissecting, like the cancer surgeon, the truth from the error. Because deception always has to have truth. There's no deception if there's no truth involved, because error and lies is not attractive. Disobey God and you'll be cast into hell. How many takers do we have? But So it has to always come as the curveball. But so much is truth. And so he transforms himself into an angel of light in order to draw the ones to himself. In fact, it says in Revelation 12, 9, he's called the old serpent, called the devil and Satan. And then he says, which deceiveth the whole world. He deceives the whole world. Think about that. He's very successful in what he does. That's why it's very important for us to stay true to him in order that we don't get caught up with that that same spirit of deception. What it does is it explains to us, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.9, it says this about Satan. It says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Power, signs, and lying wonders. Power, sign, and lying wonders. So this tells us that Satan has power, and we saw that in Ephesians 6, and we need to be aware of this. He has power and signs. That's why 
When the Lord said the Jews seek after a sign, he was really saying that's a very dangerous position because Satan has signs. So there's signs, he says he has signs, and lying wonders. Lying wonders. What's a lying wonder? A lying wonder is a wonder that doesn't bring glory to God, but brings glory to a man or brings glory to someone who's not God. That's a lying wonder. A truthful wonder, like the ten plagues in Egypt, was so true and it told the truth that the, uh, the magicians and so forth in Egypt said, that's the God of the Israel, the God of Israel that's destroying our country. They understood who was behind those wonders. It was the God of Israel. They bring glory to the God of Israel, see? Whereas a lying wonder, they wouldn't have said that. So this is the thing that Satan has. He has these three things, power, and he has signs, and he has lying wonders. And oh, that we might be kept from all of those, especially in this day. Father, thank you so much for being so faithful to provide us with everything that we need, that we might live a life of overcoming temptation, a life of godliness, a life that's pleasing to you. And help us, Lord, to, in our own minds, as we open and study Genesis chapter 3, Help us to put ourselves in that place and to see clearly what Adam should have done and what we have learned that we would do because of Adam's error. Lord, thank you so much for being our teacher, for instructing us, because you are for us and not against us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. We have several resources we're offering as our resource of the month. How would you learn the meaning of Isaiah 53? How to pray for the lost? How to pray for the saints? And what kind of love is God's love? All of these resources from Tom Cantor, yours as our resource of the month. Call us now with your donation of $10 or more at 800-247-3051. That's 800 247 3051 and get the resources of the month from Tom Cantor in one resource package, 800-247-3051, or go online to friendshipwithgod.org to our online bookstore for more of Tom Cantor's resources and materials, or 800-247-3051.